If you haven't opened your Bibles yet, open them up to John 6 so that you can see for yourself what Jesus is saying to us. And before we begin, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to die. You came to die. But not before you taught. You showed us what your father is like in your life, in your death, and in your words. Would you help us now through what you have said to see your glory, the glory of your Father, and to believe. We want to trust you. We want to be changed as we trust you. We thank you for the word, that every word of the Lord proves true. He is a sun and a shield. Be that for us this morning. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So if you are following along, if you noticed what Jesus is saying to these Jews who are listening to him, he's being provocative. You know what that word means? He's provoking them in the way that he's preaching. He wants to open the curtains on their sleepy souls and let the light shine in. I mean, he's shocking them awake. He's telling them, you've got to eat my flesh if you want to be saved. You've got to drink my blood if you want to be saved. Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to Jews. They did not drink blood. He's not in the Philippines where on the roadside you can get some, you know, congealed Betamax. That's not not these people. They meticulously avoided blood in their food. It was forbidden. They sprinkled blood on the outside of things that needed cleansing, but it wouldn't touch their mouths. And human flesh was an abomination to eat, as it would be for us. And Jesus says in absolute terms to these people, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He talks like this to wake them up. If you've been following along the last few weeks, Jesus has a conversation with the crowd that he just fed. Over 5,000 people, he gave them bread, and they want this guy to be their king because they want a king who's going to give them a snack. That's what they want. They want a king and a savior who's going to give them what they want, And he's trying to wake them up to help them see that what they want is wrong. It's backwards. Their priorities are backwards. He's a different kind of savior. He's a better kind of king. He's a king who comes to give his flesh and his blood for their sins. He's come to feed our souls through his own gruesome sacrificial death. That's the kind of king and savior he is. Now, we're going to start by looking at the the warning that Jesus gives these people. He wants to point out how short-sighted they're being. We're going to see that. He's going to compare what he's come to do with the generation that left Egypt and ate manna. He's going to compare 
what he does with what God did through Moses, and he's going to show how short-sighted they're being in just wanting bread. And then we're going to define our terms. What, what does he mean? Eat his flesh? Drink his blood? What is he talking about? Then, to close, we'll see some promises he gives and how he's connecting us to the life of God. So that's where we're going. We're, we're going to start by looking at the short-sightedness of living for your stomach. Look at verses 49 through 50. Jesus says, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is starting by comparing himself, living bread, with manna. So that's the bread that God gave the Israelites when they were in the wilderness after Egypt. And our passage closes in almost the exact same way. So look down at verse 58. He says almost the same thing. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So at the beginning and the end, Jesus is pointing out this fact. Everyone who ate the manna died. You guys want me to give you manna, bread, every day. That's the kind of king you want. Here's the problem. All those people ate for 40 years and then they died. You've got bigger problems than getting a full stomach. Don't you see that you need a Savior to provide more than just food for you? You guys are so excited that the King of Israel has come. And all you want from me is a meal. Don't you see that death is coming? It's coming down the line. It came for the wilderness generation. It's coming for you. That generation in the wilderness, they got what you want. And in the end, they died. Don't you want a Savior who can rescue you from that? Why don't we deal with that problem before we deal with your empty stomach? Living your life to secure your next paycheck, your next meal, your car, your retirement, a home, is a terrible way to spend your life. Yes, you need food, transportation, shelter. But there's this big thing coming your way called death. And it's coming to you, not just to people you read about on the news, not just to your grandparents. It is coming to you. What are you going to do about that? That's what Jesus is saying to them. Let's put a priority on dealing with that. Care about that the most. Help the people you live with care about that the most. Help them deal with that first. We're like ants, aren't we? We're just busy filling our time and our minds with the next funny video, the next sports game, the next contract we need to sign. We're scurrying around, just dealing with the immediate and never dealing with what lasts. 
We're filling our minds and our stomachs with the instant and never the eternal. So we need to wake up. That's what Jesus is trying to do for these people. It's what he would do for us. He would tell us to wake up. So much of the work that you and I have to do on ourselves daily and so much of the work that we have to help other people with is to learn to lift our eyes from simply the immediate, the stuff that's urgent right in our faces to the stuff that's eternal, the things that last. We have everlasting needs and everlasting pleasures and those should take priority in our concern, in our heart. That's what Jesus is telling these people. You've got to do that to yourself daily. You know why? Because the urgent needs of the immediate are always going to be pressing up against you. Always. When you go to work, when you go to class, when you're at home with your family, you've got to make dinner. But Jesus is saying, lift your eyes. While you're in the midst of those immediate, lift your eyes and help others do the same. Jesus is saying, listen, if I give you the next 65,000 meals, so that would be three meals a day, 365 days a year for the next 60 years, you're still going to die. And then what? If you'll just come to me, I will give you a meal that will make your soul live forever. In verse 55, Jesus says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The food and drink we have at every meal isn't true food and true drink. It's pretend. It's pretend food and pretend drink. It helps your body for a few hours, but it doesn't last and it doesn't give any nourishment to your inner being, to your soul. It's pretend food. When you eat pretend food this afternoon at KFC or, God forbid, Charlie's cheesesteak, remember, it's pretend. It's not the real thing. It can't touch your soul. It's supposed to be a reminder that your soul needs the food that lasts. Your soul needs true food, and Jesus is the only one who gives it. Don't be short-sighted. Don't seek the things of the world from Jesus mostly, forgetting the eternal, everlasting things he's brought, food for your soul. So let's define our terms now. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time defining what exactly are we talking about here. Jesus is pressing this metaphor because he's been telling the crowds for the last few weeks as we've been working through this that I'm the bread of life. But now he's going to say it's his flesh that's bread and it's his blood that's drink. And we've got to define what's he talking about. What's he mean? We have to eat his flesh and his blood? So we're going to start by asking and answering this question. What does he mean by eat and drink here? What's he mean by eat and drink and then we're going to answer the question, why is he talking about eating flesh and drinking blood? And then we'll ask, what does it mean to feed on his flesh? He's talking about a continuous, repeated action. 
What's it mean to feed on his flesh and repeatedly drink his blood? Let me read verses 53 through 56. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What does he mean by eat and drink? He doesn't mean putting his skin and his bones in your teeth. That's not what he's talking about. He means believing. That's what eating and drinking are in John chapter 6. If you've got your Bible open, just compare verse 47 with verse 54. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has what? Eternal life. Now look down to verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So Jesus is not telling us to chew on muscle and bone. He's saying we need to believe. Believing is like eating for your soul. Believing is not simply a mental activity. I mean, your mind has to be involved. You've got to think about something in order to believe it. But when you do believe it, guess what's happening to your soul? Your soul is feeding. Your soul is being fed when you believe. It's like your soul getting a meal. When you're singing and you're trusting the words that we sing, you know what your soul's doing? It's being fed. It's eating a meal. That's what belief does for your soul. So that's what Jesus means when he says we must eat and drink. He means believe. So now why does he say it's his flesh and his blood that we must eat and drink? In the Old Testament, the the priests would sacrifice for sins a goat, a bull, a sheep, and then the priests would eat a portion of the sacrifice. So they were offering sacrifices for sin, and then they would eat some of it. Jesus is saying, that's what I am. I'm a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something we give that makes us acceptable before God. His own violent death, he's telling it beforehand, will be a sacrifice for sinners. His flesh and blood are going to be given as a sacrifice for sinners. This sacrifice is different. Because in the Old Testament, it was a very small group of men who ate from the sacrifice. Here, everyone who wants to be saved must eat. Not just a small group of men the Levites, everyone, whoever would be saved, must partake of his sacrificial death. And instead of the blood of the sacrifice cleansing the outside, so it would get sprinkled on the altar, sprinkled on the temple. You read, or you were reading along with Luke earlier. When they make the covenant, what does Moses do? He throws blood on them, on the outside of them. 
But here, we need this sacrificial blood to cleanse us on the inside. We need something done to our souls. We don't just need the external stuff cleaned. We need to be cleaned and changed and forgiven on the inside. That's why this sacrifice is different. Jesus is God the Son who became a real human. And he lived a real human life like we ought to. He loved his Father with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength. And he loved his neighbor perfectly as himself. And then he was sacrificed. That's what the cross is. His flesh was broken. His blood was spilled so that your sins, not just vague sins out there, your sins could be forgiven and covered by his blood. He wants you to believe that. So eating his flesh and drinking his blood is his in-your-face way of saying that you need to trust his sacrificial death for you. That's what he's saying. So believe. Come to him. Eat that sacrifice and have everlasting life. Now, Jesus doesn't say we need to eat his flesh once and take a sip of his blood and we're done. In verses 54 through 58, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. He's not talking about a one-time activity there. He's talking about something repeated and continuous, feeding. What does he mean? Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 56, 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 58, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is regular eating and drinking. So how do you regularly eat and drink from the sacrifice of Jesus? How do you regularly do that? Now, some people think this is talking about the Lord's Supper. It's not. But it is talking about the reality behind the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take a little piece of bread and some juice It's a gift to us. It's God's way of helping us remember this reality, what he's done in being broken for us, sacrificed for us. It's a way for our souls to enjoy and treasure and trust the sacrifice he's made for us. The bread and the juice are just symbols that help us. Jesus wants you to regularly feed on his sacrifice. So, His sacrifice pays for your sins once for all. You believe it's done. It's done. You're forgiven. You're sealed. You're secured. But he wants you to regularly appropriate it. He wants you to regularly think about his sacrifice for you and love it. That's what he means by feed on my flesh and drink my blood. Not just one bite you took 10 years ago that sealed the deal. 
He wants you to regularly feast, regularly think and treasure and love his sacrifice for you. Here's how you do that. He wants you regularly to do this intentionally. Think about the fact that his father sent him for you because he loves you. He wants you to do that regularly. He wants you to think about the fact that he, being God, became a lowly, humble man so that he could live a sinless life for you. He wants you to think about that regularly and love it. That's feeding. That's feeding on his sacrifice. He wants you to regularly think about your sinfulness, how terrible your sin is against an infinitely worthy God. And by the way, none of us ever get there. We never fully grasp how great our sin is against an infinite God. But he wants us to consider how you're unable to provide any payment for yourself to be saved. And then he wants you to consider just how precious and perfect the person of Jesus is that he could swallow up your hell on the cross. He wants you to remember that he was broken, smashed under the hand of God in love for his Father's glory and in love for you. That's how you feed your soul on the sacrifice of Jesus. He wants you to remember when when something good comes your way, and by the way, you have good coming your way all the time. Most of the good that comes our way, we don't ever notice. But let's say you're reading your Bible and you come across a promise and you say, God, thank you for that promise. Then you think, you know why I can trust this promise? Because Jesus was broken and his blood was poured out to secure it for me. Let's say you're in here and you're worshiping and you go, whoa, I'm actually believing and worshiping what I'm singing. Thank you. I received that because you bought it, Jesus, by being crushed. And when you do that, your soul is feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, there are more things in the Bible than the sacrifice of Jesus. There's more stuff in here than just the sacrifice. And we ought to know it. We want to know this word. We want to trust all of it. But we never move past the sacrifice of Jesus for us. It is daily bread and drink for us. Is this a regular part of your prayer life? It's a regular part. If you're like me, sometimes you pray, and then you you pray for what you thought to pray about, and then you're like, what do I pray about now? This is something to pray about. God, thank you. You sent your son because you love me. He was crushed for me. Thank you. And your soul is feasting. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were happening all the time. It was nonstop sacrificing, and each individual regularly offered sacrifices for themselves. I mean, in the Old Testament, your life was organized so that you had a regular reminder built into your life that you need a sacrifice to be substituted for you. That was just part of your life. Now that Jesus has made the final sacrifice, it's done. No more sacrifices. Praise the Lord. It's done. 
we shouldn't remind ourselves any less of how precious this sacrifice is and how much we need it. This is how you feed on him. Some of you live with guilty consciences because you don't do this regularly. You're not regularly feeding on the truth that the sacrifice of Jesus was for you, and it worked. Some of you live thankless, grumpy lives because you don't do this regularly, recognizing that all the good you have was bought for you. Some of you are stuck living for the things of this world, bread for your stomachs. Because you don't take time to readjust your priorities by thinking on the sacrifice of Jesus for your eternal good and the eternal good of those around you. So feed on his sacrifice. Believe. Jesus gives some promises. We're closing now. We've got two quick sections here. Jesus gives promises to those who feed on his flesh and blood. So for those of you who get spiritual nourishment from his sacrifice, there are some promises for you here. Verse 54, promise number one. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to be raised up with him? Feed on his sacrifice. Treasure his sacrifice. Love it. Believe it. Promise number two, verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So we live in Jesus. That's what abide means. It means to stay and live somewhere. We live and stay in his full life and in his power to satisfy us as we continuously feed on his sacrifice. We abide in him and his life dwells in us as we continue to feed on him. As we continually think about his sacrifice for us and enjoy it, he abides in us and we in him. Do you want to abide in Jesus? Do you want to be connected with his life? Feed on his sacrifice. There's one more thing for us to see. The very life of God, God's own life, runs through Jesus to those who feed on him. Now watch how Jesus does this. He creates a link between the life of God and us. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me. Notice he calls him the living Father as opposed to the fathers. Sonny pointed this out to me yesterday. As opposed to the fathers who died in the wilderness. He's the living Father. He has all life. It all flows from him. And I live, Jesus is talking, because of the Father. So remember, from all eternity, Jesus has been receiving life from the Father. There was not a time 
where Jesus was not receiving life from the Father. The Father's been pouring out his fullness and life into Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's what the Father loves to do. Jesus says, I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. So follow his argument here. All life Health, flourishing, is God's. God is. God doesn't get his life from anywhere else. He is the definition of flourishing and goodness and beauty and fullness and health. And forever and ever, he's been pouring it out on the son he loves. That's why he's a father. So that all that the father is and has and loves and enjoys that life belongs to the Son. And the Son who has that life takes on flesh and blood so that you and I can eat it and drink it. And the very life of the Father now courses through your soul. That's the connection Jesus is making. If you feed on Jesus, thinking on his sacrificial death for you, being forgiven by it, drawing your spiritual nourishment from it daily, weekly, then you must live forever because the life of God is coursing through your soul. So when Jesus says in verse 57, Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. He means you'll live forever, yes. But he means that you will have the infinite life of God in you forever. Do you see the chain he's, he's connecting? Jesus is connecting us with the life of God. This is the definition of happiness. You, you just survey other religions, what their idea of heaven is. Lots of virgins or finally nothingness. That's the best they can come up with for a happy future. And Jesus is saying, I've got something better. The very life of my father the invincible, immortal, immeasurable, unending life of my Father will be yours if you feed on me. Which means, if the unending and immeasurable life of the Father is in you, then you will have unending and immeasurable happiness and life forever with him. So feed on Jesus. Feast your soul by trusting his sacrifice for you. It is true bread and true drink. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son because you loved us. Jesus, thank you for taking on flesh and blood so that we might feed on your flesh and your blood as you are killed for us. We are sinners, God. This is a room full of sinners in a world full of sinners. 
We have committed enough sin this morning to damn us forever. Because you are that worthy. How precious is your son that he could absorb hell, not just for one of us, but for millions, for those who would feed on his sacrifice and trust it. Oh, we bless you, God. Make us people who never move past the sacrifice of your son, but love it, treasure it, remind ourselves of it, and embrace it as our spiritual sustenance now and forever. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.